John Balian, and on this week's episode of Popcorn and Junkie, I'll be discussing the Kristen Stewart vehicle, Underwater, the Tiffany Haddish Roseburn comedy, Like a Boss, and the carryovers from 2019's award season, Sam Mendes' World War I movie, 1917, and the Brian Stephen biopic, Just Mercy, plus a Netflix and chat about Astronomy Club and I Think You Should Leave. Let's get started. <laughs> most people are picking up from this is that it's mainly a ripoff and yeah it's it wears its inspiration on its sleeve it is very much trying to be alien but underwater and that concept's been done before and so most of the people who are reviewing this are like i've already seen this thing before but you know i've talked about that in the past uh back when i attempted to uh get uh beef going with me and one of the guys oh god who was it from comedy uh film nerds um uh, whoever it was, it wasn't the other, it was Graham Elwood and the other guy, it was the other guy, because he was saying, uh, Secret Life of Pets is just Toy Story for dogs, I've seen this thing before. Look, if you watch enough content, watch enough media, consume enough stories, you're going to see the same stories pop up again and again, there's no escaping that. But what this one does, it's very, very clearly trying to be alien, down to certain beats, even. So, it's not like this is coming out of nowhere, like... Secret Life of Pets was very different from Toy Story other than in concept, whereas Underwater almost follows the exact beats of Alien. And look, I don't mind that as long as what you give me is... Yeah, you're a trace job, fine. What else do you have, though? And honestly, what this movie has is some very good production, like... The underwater effects are very good. Like, these are very, you know, for sitting on the shelf for, like, three years, this movie has some really good underwater effects. Um, who's the director on this? Uh, but, what, you know, the production team behind this uh, did a very good job of uh, portraying not only underwater, but, like, really, really shoddily put together underwater, like... Um, Kind of like how um, the Nostromo was a, kind of like a truck uh, going through space. This is kind of like that same level of like, we don't really care. We're not going to spend a lot of money keeping this uh, all that functional um, looking. So, I mean, it's futuristic enough that you can tell it's, it's, it's fancier, but it's also like completely worn down to the point where you can tell that they haven't been keeping this up to date. Despite the fact that it's probably like a multi-billion dollar investment at the bottom of the sea. I think they pay more money, but you'd be surprised what uh, corporations uh, would refuse to pay money for. Um, the director here is William Eubank, of the, who also did The Signal back in 2014. A very, um, you know, very uh, independent uh, sci-fi movie. It had uh, Bretton Thwaites in it. It was, was this the one with a... Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne was in this too. Um, something about aliens or something like that. Uh, computer genius, when everything suddenly goes dark, Nick remains a... 
Only find himself in a waking nightmare, isolated area. No idea. Okay, no idea. Uh, I think this has had something to do with aliens. Uh, but I remember it didn't get a lot of great reviews when it came out. Um, but he, he, uh, his direction here is honestly, like, really, really good. It almost feels like uh, between him and whoever the production team is in terms of, like, costume design and creation and, um, you know, set design, it feels like they're almost trying to audition for a Halo movie. Because this could very easily translate into a Halo movie if they if, if um, Microsoft wanted them to do that, and I think the production team is uh, is part of what makes this more than just another Alien ripoff. It's trying to at least be somewhat interesting, like visually speaking. So the storyline is you've seen this before; it's fairly predictable. But the production design, the, what you're seeing, is you know different enough and. It's, unique in its own way although um when they do get to the monsters we're back again to the alien ripoff but then it's also trying to throw in bits of lovecraft into the monsters and it that helps a bit to differentiate it but even the um the xenomorphs were had some lovecraftian influence thrown into them by hr giger so it's not, there's there's no way to escape that sort of shadow that they're under but i do think that it's helped a lot by Kristen Stewart, who deserves way better than what she's getting. These middling blockbuster attempts, she deserves something that that is worthy of her acting skills because the scripts she's been getting with this and Charlie's Angels are just so lackluster. Give her something worthwhile. Give her um, not even I don't even want like necessarily a superhero thing like a Marvel thing, but like give her. Uh, give her, have her work with Greta Gerwig, or um, you know, have her work with uh, uh, Taika Waititi on something. Have them work, have her work with somebody who gives a damn about the writing, because she deserves, because she's proven throughout her, in, you know, her following to uh, Twilight that she's capable of it and she deserves it. But for some reason, she keeps getting saddled with these lackluster films that can't, that aren't worthy of her carrying them the whole time. She's basically become the Atlas of mediocre blockbusters, carrying the whole movie on her shoulders. But um, I will say that you know, the only other thing that the whole kind of the whole reason that this got delayed because this, uh, for those who don't know, was made back in 2017. But during that same year, T.J. Miller, who was promoting uh, the Emoji movie at the time, was revealed to have been to have sexually harassed. Um, I'm, I'm not sure who it was in relation to him, or even just some random woman. But he sexually harassed the, uh, women, and he got embroiled up in in the Me Too movement at the time because of that. And they completely and they delayed this movie until. Now, when Kristen Stewart's kind of rising back into the spotlight, because at the time she wasn't as big, whereas Charlie's Angels kind of threw her back into the spotlight and reminded people, oh yeah, Kristen Stewart's a thing. Oh yeah. And so now she becomes the main focus, even though her character is still the main focus of the movie, she's the main focus of the campaign now and the reason it's coming back at all, because T.J. Miller is someone we want to forget. And this is just kind of hoping to get whatever, you know, um, uh, movement the audiences had for Charlie's Angels and for Kristen Stewart, kind of get something. Plus, it's a January horror release. I will say there was a there was a decent number of people in my theater. It wasn't packed, 
but enough people were interested enough to go check it out at least. I don't know if it has, it has staying power, but at least it's getting some people interested, if nothing else. But, um, yeah, I think the problem with this movie is specifically its writing is very by the numbers, and it's very much a copy-paste of Alien and bits of Aliens as well. And the, what makes this movie work more than anything else is the is the you know production design, the creature effects, everything about this movie in terms of its making, its physical effect and its CGI is solid. But it's and of course Kristen Stewart who uh outside of Twilight I don't think has had a bad performance. I think Twilight is the only thing where she didn't where she had a uh, overtly bad performance be, and that was because the whole thing was an absolute disaster in terms of actual acting and writing and whatnot. But she does, you know, with as little as she's given, she carries this movie. She is the reason to see this movie. And it's just unfortunate that the movie isn't really worth seeing outside of her and some of the effects. I will say, if you have thalassophobia, uh, the fear of, like, being underwater... Um, then this is not a movie you want to go see. This will very much uh, trigger that for you. But I will say, it, I didn't hate it. For a movie that com that's coming out in January, a really crappy... Uh, compared to The Grudge, this isn't nearly as bad. It's, a, it's at least... I mean, hey, it's copying Alien. Better to cop a, copy a good movie than a bad movie. I'll say that much. So, yeah, this is, this is all right. Nothing amazing, but it, it wasn't too bad either. I punched that bitch in the face. I would marry you if I was in the coochie. The ghost peppers, they are very spicy. Just a little sliver goes a long way. Your peppers are really hot. It burns so bad it hurts. Take some breath. It'll soak it all up. Oh, that's a lot of carbs. Here you go, honey. It's goat's milk, so it'll coat the throat. It's going down for real. Going from pretty good to downright awful, we've got Like a Boss. And look, this premise could have worked and these, this cast absolutely could have worked, but we're still in the Apatow shadow. Uh, you know, the, the if Apatow was like a meteorite hitting the comedy uh, world, then we're still in the fallout of his impact because we're still getting crap like this. When... The best comedies of the year... I mean, that's the thing. The best comedies of the year are things like... Of last year were like Knives Out, Jojo Rabbit. Things that were very well crafted and written. These cheaply done, improv-driven comedies are just not very good. They don't have lasting impact. How often do you go to these improv comedies besides Anchorman? Like, how many people will go back to anything besides Anchorman? Like... It's, I mean, there are some people who might go back to, like, Talladega Nights, but who's going back to Holmes and Watson or, um, or, oh, God, what was it? Uh, the Boss, I think it was. Not the, well, there was The Boss, but there was also, um, uh, The House. You know, all of these improv-driven comedies just aren't very good because they rely solely on the premises being written while the actors do most of the dialogue and... They say, hey, do this line, do a bunch of lines, do a bunch of lines. Hey, 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 throw out whatever you want and then we'll pick the best. And it's like, that's great for like behind the scenes stuff or like, hey, here's all the, here's some of the lines you could have missed. But 
you don't need to make your movie that way. And unfortunately, it hasn't been unsuccessful enough for it to stop being it. It's also just, it's once again, it's cheap enough that you can pump them out without any real thought put into it. And enough people will go see it that you would get some money back on it. So that's... That's that's where we're at in terms of these comedies. We're still in the of the fall the Apatow fallout of improv comedy in Hollywood. Uh, as for this movie, um, I will say it's helped a lot by Tiffany Haddish and Salma Hayek, who even with no really no script given to them, are funny enough that can they can help carry the movie. Rose Byrne, on the other hand, is really getting on my last nerve. Every all of the comedies she's been in for, since I started covering this podcast, movies in this podcast, have been worse and worse performances from her. I am I am genuinely wondering if I ever really liked her as an, in a movie. Um, I think the last time I ever really liked her was in that first Neighbors movie. Uh, I think she was kind of okay in Spy. Uh, Bridesmaids, Neighbors, uh, oh god, she was in Jexy from last year, I managed to miss that one. Yeah, she's in Peter Rabbit as as B, the live action character, uh, like, I think the only, like, the last time I liked her in a thing was X-Men, where she got to play more, where she played more McTaggart's, and that's a serious performance from her, so... Yeah, her comedy performances just aren't very good. Uh, they're all they're they're all reliant on this improv-driven comedy, and she may she may be fun enough as a comedic actress, but she's not exactly improv. You know, she's not giving improv gold or anything like that. H Tiffany Haddish is you know bat 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 line 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 line. She is an improv master. And Selma Hayek has been around long enough in comedies to get a good comedic timing and have a good sense of, sense of, you know, humor about her. Whereas Rose Byrne is kind of reliant on her material. And if she's still playing the same sort of nebbish character she always plays, she is kind of forgettable. And she's ba basically bowled over this movie by Haddish, who is a much better actress and much better comedian overall. Uh... Yeah, uh, and not to mention the fact that the storyline is predictable, boring, and I think the one thing that kills me is that they, when they, whenever they do a, a comedy where some, this, they, the characters have a falling out and they have to reconvene and be like, no, you were right, no, you were right. In this movie, Tiffany Haddish was right. Like, they try to play it off like, oh, Tiffany Haddish is a bully, she's pushing everybody around, she's in the wrong, but... It'd be it would be have more impact if Tiffany Haddish was wrong about something. Like her character is absolutely right from the get-go about this whole about this whole endeavor, and it's Rose Burns' mess that they have to continually dig out. Like they try to play off Tiffany Haddish as in the wrong at some about some things, and yeah, she kind of procrastinates. She's a lot of she's big on ideas, not big on production. She doesn't get, you know, meet deadlines. Yeah, that's something. But when you compare her to what Rose Byrne did, which is basically sell them out and then they and then get shafted because they sold out, well, gee, whose fault was that? Not Tiffany Haddish when she was the one saying this is a bad idea from day one. <laughs> oh God! Like they tried to pull this in um for uh for a good time call as well, where it's like 
um, oh, how dare, uh, what's her name? The one, the brunette in that, uh, uh, I forget her name, Lauren something or another. Uh, how dare she seek a job with benefits and a, and a steady income instead of being a sex worker her whole life? Not that being a sex worker is wrong, but like, here's, this was her dream job. And there's nothing to say that she can't do the sex th thing on the side as well. Like, there doesn't, there's no reason for the sex line to stop just because she got a day job that has benefits so that she can afford to do, th do more things. And yet somehow she's in the wrong for giving up on her friend who does the dirty sex thing. No, she's not in the wrong and the friend just needs to realize, if the friend had just been like, oh, hey, you got the day job thing. Well, you're not going to be too busy to do the th sex thing, right? Sweet. Then we could keep this whole thing going. And it's like, there was no real conflict. Oh my God, there was no real conflict in that movie. Holy sh... <laughs> there was no conflict in that movie. I hate it even more now. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, For Good Time Call was a terrible, terrible movie. And this is about on par with that. It's a little better because we've got a we've got actual people who are capable of being funny. Speaking of which, Ari, Gra Ari Grainer, um, the blonde chick from the For Good Time Call, is in this movie in basically a background role. She barely gets any lines in this. She's completely buried in the background as like a glorified extra. So, um, yeah, this, this whole movie... Good idea, could have been great, but you didn't give a damn enough to actually write something funny. You just thought, hey, let's just tell jokes and think that'll that'll save for a really lazy script. Nah, nah, I'm, yeah, we can be done with these anytime now. Good luck. award season comes around they i can't i have to keep saying the phrase i respect the movie more than i like it and that's the case here where where um technically speaking this is a masterfully made movie but in terms of the actual script i actually got into it with somebody on twitter over this and how like this ex this kind of follows a lot of the usual tropes of war movies in terms of story and the performances are so close to the vest and underplayed that they don't really have any much have much impact they disagreed with me but it just kind of uh hits home that war movies are kind of predictable and not very you know that we've seen so many of the same stories that it doesn't that even though like this is very well made and has good cast behind it there's not a real reason to see this over say all quiet on the western front or saving private ryan or you know various other war movies like you've seen the story told before you can predict pretty much every moment beat for beat and it's just almost it has another problem where it's so cold and distant that it doesn't feel human like and mendez is very good at kind of playing things humanly you, you know kind of you know close to the vest and being human and being dramatic and whatnot which is weird that he couldn't really get that out of this movie and i'm not sure i'm not sure what it was i don't think it was and once again it um 
this is a well-made movie, but, and it, um, kind of goes along the same thing as, like, Birdman, where it's that long, extended shot sort of sequence. So it's very few instances where you can very kind of cleanly see where they would cut, but it's still all very well, uh, shot, you know, for the whole thing. It feels, it's very first person almost, and it's really well done, but I didn't care about what happened because it didn't make me feel like I should. Like, it's one thing to, like, and, and I don't even know if this is real or if it's something they just made up, all fictional characters, but normally for, like, when you're in a situation like this, you have a sense of empathy for these guys, for what they're going through, but everything felt so cold and distant that I didn't feel anything for these characters. And I don't know if it just was a folk, a more focus on the production end of things because it's it's really well shot. Once again, this is a uh, Roger Deakins doing the the cinematography, and dude's a master at his craft. So it's any wonder that it's amazing looking, but. The good actors are basically resorted to cameos, and the main actor, George McKay, is just kind of okay. Like, he's just all right in his role. He doesn't, like, he's supposed to carry this movie, and he's plays things naturally. Like, you know, he, he doesn't play things like, it's not like he's wooden or anything, but I also don't really care about his character. He doesn't make me feel anything towards his character, and I wonder how much of that is the writing and just how much of that is how many times we've seen this story told. And I kind of want to say that we should take a break from white white boys going to war and cover more interesting un, unexplored territories. Like they're like I'm pretty sure they're like because of the history of the British Empire, there are like entire Sikh battalions in either the Canadian uh, army or the British army. Let's cover some of their stories. Let's cover like there is a Sikh soldier in this movie, but like what? Let's cover Sikh battalions and like their entire story, their dealings with racism and whatnot. Uh, let's cover stories that haven't always been told from the white dude's perspective. Like let's cover you know let's cover that's why I liked Anthropoid so much. It's an aspect of World War II that has received significantly less coverage by Hollywood, and that is the Czech resistance. And that, and having that sort, like, once again, so many different aspects we could explore. And we're all doing the same white British dude goes to, goes to fight the white German dude. There's, there's more stories than that, you know? Like, there, we could be doing so much more than telling the exact same stories over and over and over again. But Hollywood is in this rhythm of, like, this is what the Oscar committee wants, and we'll get into that later this episode. But yeah, this this kind of movie feels tailor made to win awards, and it's already kind of winning winning them already. But personally, I just want different stories. If we're gonna if we're gonna tell stories about war, let's tell stories about things the war stories that we haven't heard before. I actually brought this up uh, during this on Twitter recently. Um, someone brought up the the. Uh, uh, plane crash at Lockerbie in Scotland. And I mentioned that my aunt, who is tangentially my aunt because she's actually my uncle's ex-wife, but I, you know, it's, it's better to call her aunt because that's my closest relationship to her. 
And anyway, she's a playwright who wrote a very well uh, received play called The Women of Lockerbie. There's a story that hasn't really been explored on the screen. So, I mean, there you could explore these various aspects of war and violence and all of these things from new points of view that you haven't been because you keep telling the same damn thing over and over and over again. Enough of the white boys going to war. How about other aspects of war, you know? Like, there's more to war than just white boy goes to fight white boy. I don't know. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, I think the war movie, war genre is in a rut, and they need to revitalize it by focusing on new aspects of uh, war movies and by, by maybe focusing on new on different wars, and especially by different war stories. You know, there are all kinds of stories to be told during wartime, and focusing on the exact same kind over and over again is just kind of boring. It's my dad. He did nothing wrong. It's never too late for justice. You're the only one kid enough to fight for me. If we can look at ourselves closely, we can change this world for the better. We all need grace. We all need mercy. Amen. I got my truth back. You gave that to me. And ain't nobody gonna take that from us. This is exactly why I hate the award season layovers. The movies like this that get released in January for the rest of us could have easily been on my num on my top ten list. Uh, for the last year, because I know this happened a couple years ago with a Monster Calls. It happened. This would have been my number two. This is retroactively kind of my number two favorite movie of 2019. Very easily could have ended up on the top ten of the decade because it is an absolutely phenomenal movie, and it's something that very few biopics do, which is pretty much adhere almost directly to the truth. Very few things about this movie deviate from the truth. Mainly it's the same thing that we have to condense certain characters, uh, certain events into this one character doing, these, doing multiple things rather than having multiple characters doing multiple things because, you know, budgetary constraints and whatnot. And, you know, you don't want to have it too, you're, too, um, too uh, like chaotic of a cast where it's just like hard to follow. So those are the only real sort of um you know decisions made to limit this movie but in terms of like the events that happened as they occurred this is pretty much beat for beat what happened and it is and on top and on top of that it's a very well acted movie this could very well be the best biopic ever made like if i did a bio um uh a top 10 of the best biopics this could easily top the list uh, the story here follows uh, Stevenson, who um, went from a poor neighborhood in Delaware, uh, managed to get into Harvard to study law, and opened the, I believe, Equity Justice Initiative? Equal Justice Initiative? Uh, EJI. And what it basically was is, and it still is, it's still, um, yeah, Equal Justice Initiative. It was founded in... Alabama in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, to cater to uh, prisoners and especially prisoners on death row for um, you know 
being given like terrible uh public defenders and not having good legal counsel and so giving them a fighting chance at a good um at a good sort of um you know at, at really getting back at bad legal defenses when they didn't do anything and a lot of the guys on death row in this movie didn't do anything and were exonerated after a very long battle because he's in alabama in the in the 80s which is basically like alabama in the 40s not a lot to change down there and Stevenson, and it doesn't start away from the fact that Stevenson did, you know, he was forced to strip in order to see his clients in uh, prison because they want, once again, they're trying to turn everybody who are willing to help these guys away so that they can keep doing what they're doing. And it's because of Stevenson, not, not, not only just being willing to go there, but keep going back after being threat, having his life threatened multiple times by these guys in order to stop, get him to stop. And he does not stop because even though it's hard, even though it's, even though he meets roadblock after roadblock, the only way that he loses is if he stops going forward. And there's a beautiful P, uh, dialogue between him and uh, Jamie Foxx. Uh, Michael B. Jordan plays Brian Stevenson. Jamie Foxx plays uh, Walter... Um, what is it? Wal Walter... Uh, uh, Walter McMillian. Walter McMillian. Um, and McMillian is accused of... Um, wrongly of murdering a 19-year-old white girl after... Basically after years of uh, rumor spreading around the white community of uh, him going from having an affair with a white woman to being every terrible thing pe white people think of black people. And so when this white woman dies, they just immediately target him, even though he had, he had no... He was nowhere near the crime scene when it happened. And... Jamie Foxx, um, and during that scene where after his initial appeal was over was denied, uh, uh, Jamie Lee Fox is talking to Brian uh, Michael B. Jordan's Brian Stevenson in the in uh, the prison. And Stevens like, I'm sorry, and and um, Stevenson and uh, McMillan's like, you know, you see seeing um, the guy who accused him of doing it, being the sole witness to the prosecution the first time. Uh, say dead on the stand, you know, dead straight on the stand. Uh, that man did not, you know, I, you know, I, I, that man did not kill that woman. Kind of gave him his humanity back after it was taken from him by being thrown into death, thrown on death row. And uh, Stevenson gave McMillan that feeling of humanity that he had been missing for so long, especially by, re you know, connecting with his family and doing all of this stuff. He put in so much work, and even though they hit a road bump. That's nothing to be sorry for. The only reason to be sorry is if you're quitting, and um, and yeah, you know, yeah, are we gonna are we gonna quit? And, and Stephen's like, no. <laughs> and yeah, eventually they do go on to win McMillan's free uh, freedom after you know going further, just keep going through the legal process, never giving up, and it just goes to show that it's such a power. You know, the 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 system in place cares so little for those it it prosecutes and you know it judges but not for the people doing it who are allowed to get away with such horrible things and they have no real you know there's no real course of action to punish those in the system for abusing it and yeah this is it's just as relevant today 
as it was when you know as as everything ha- happens is just as relevant today, which is the sad part. And I think the nice thing is that on top of everybody, the story sticking to the truth, but you know for for everything, it also manages to cast people who basically look exactly like their real world counterpart. Like when you look at certain biopics you see the hollywood actor and then you see the actual person and you're like you don't look anything alike you look nothing alike you look when they showed the um actual people at the end of this movie you take a look at brian stevenson at that time and you take a look at michael b jordan in this movie almost dead ringers like they're they're really close jamie fox is almost a straight dead ringer for uh, Walter McMillan at the time. And uh, the real killer is, uh, uh, in terms of uh, this, is uh, Tim Blake Nelson as the witness, Ralph Myers. They could have easily made Ralph Myers out to be a villain, but this movie knew dead well that Ralph Myers is just as much a victim of the system as as, uh, McMillan, even though McMillan has been treated worse by it. They're both victims of the same system. And Myers, um, when you take a look at him uh, in interviews, and you take a look at Tim Blake Nelson in this movie, one-to-one. It's like it's like you're looking at the exact same person. And it's and the performances are almost dead ringers for each other, too. They went so far as to get, um, get almost voice-to-voice for some of these people. And it's... It's an attention to detail that you don't get out of most biopics, which is a shame because this should be the standard for biopics, I think. Uh, You know, one-to-one in terms of, you know, recreation of events and in terms of how much the people actually look like their real-world counterparts. Like, this could just, this should just as, this should be the standard for the, for biopics, and yet it's not, and that's the sad part. So yeah, Just Mercy, and I'm not even... I haven't even covered things like O'Shea Jackson Jr., uh, Ice Cube's son, um, is a, is in a minor role, but he ha- but he's kind of there to kind of um, uh, round out the people in uh, on death row at the time. And you think, oh, this isn't somebody. This is just O'Shea Jackson Jr. getting a gig. Oh no, he plays an actual person, and he has a whole follow up in the end credits. Because that's the thing during the end credits, they didn't just the uh, epilogue. Um, bits at the end they sprinkle them out throughout the credits as well so you you should stick around until like the scrolling credits uh from bottom to top because you're gonna miss some things if you leave or leave as soon as the first set of credits come out but um yeah he plays a real person and then there's a really really heartbreaking one uh rob morgan who apparently was in uh netflix's daredevils he's been in the uh uh netflix mcu as turk barrett um he's also in uh this is us and he's been in 30 rock you know he's been in various other things he had a recurring role in stranger things as well he is in this movie as another real person with a absolutely heartbreaking backstory uh herbert richardson was one of the first was also one of the first people brian stevenson uh tried to help through it through the eji and his story does not end as well as mcmillan's and it's absolutely heartbreaking to watch what happens. And they do not shy... That's the thing. They do not shy away from the harsher aspects of reality. Like, they stick right to what happens. You know, they, they show you, like, 
the horrors of what happens if of if Stevenson can't get can't get can't help these guys and and it also shows just like how hard it is for this guy just to just to make make it make it through the roadblocks that the system has in place um and this whole time I haven't even talked about Brie Larson who it feels it is she is very much in the uh and featuring a ro- role because she's not as in the movie as much as the other actors are but she is a solid uh like you know help help you know like she's there to basically help out and be a t- being a um the person to talk with uh Stevenson about stuff and just help him out with everything not uh not to keep pushing against so that he's not the only one pushing against the system in place there's somebody you know in his corner who's helping him out and she does a great job she's a wonderful actress and if people give her you know crap for uh Captain Marvel and whatnot but she doesn't get, have a whole lot of range just yet i'm hoping that they fix that in, in now that she's becoming more of a mainstay in the, in the franchise and you know future entries will have her go from just being the stoic badass to being a being a more developed character but yeah she's phenomenal in this and she has she's great comedic timing as well um all in all just just go if you have a chance to go see this go see this but yeah it is it is a rough watch not as bad as something like 12 years a slave or uh schindler's list but it's really hard, and it's real. You know, so it, there are really heartbreaking points, but it, it's a very beautiful story, and I'm glad I got the chance to finally see it. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the popcorn junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. All right. Huh, haven't done one of these in a while. Yeah, um, Netflix and chat. I finally got to catching up on some stuff on uh, streaming. And uh, what I caught, caught up on is apparently I forgot to talk about Astronomy Club, which I've watched like three times already. And I also checked out I Think You Should Leave. Um, uh, Danny over on Game Grumps was talking about one of the sketches there. And I decided to watch them both. I decided to watch that. And now I'm, for the show, I'm going to compare them both because... They're a bit in the same vein, but they're of two different styles. Like, Astronomy Club is very much in the same vein as a Key and Peele or, um, uh, what's another good one? Where it's like, um, very looser comedy. Whereas, I think it should leave as much more like, uh, I don't know if Portlandia is a good example, but, um, maybe Mr. Robot or, um, uh, a Mr. Show with Bob and Dave and you know something more heady something that's not as joke you know joke 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 funny but very weird and out there and pushing the boundaries of like what is funny I should say up front that I do have a bit of a vested interest in Astronomy Club in that I used to do community theater with one of the actors there one of the uh, cast members uh, Astronomy Club, it, uh, for those who don't know, is a New York-based improv gr- group, uh, mostly black. I don't know if they have any white members, but it's basically an all-black uh, improv troupe. And I know the first, the main member I know, James. He goes by James the Third. I know him because I did community theater with him back in high school, which was God, like 
15 years ago almost uh we only did one show but uh, we've been keep we've kept in touch since then i i've basically been on the side so- been uh, been in the audience for his rise from going from being in little bits here and there i think he got a bit on 30 rock to forming uh the podcast black men can't jump in hollywood which i also recommend great podcast uh, covers uh the, the depictions of race in hollywood through various lenses and it's obviously based on white men can jump um but it's very it all and it's not just the, it's and three of those guys are on the, the those three guys are members of this troupe uh Gerard Milligan and um oh god why why am i forgetting the th- the third guy <laughs> my brain is killing me today uh i i should uh uh but it's another j uh Jonathan Braylock i knew it was a j god sorry sorry braylock um yeah, I know those three guys because they're the members who co- all co-host uh, Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood. Uh, they're all three hilarious on their own. And then they're mi- mixed in with the rest of this crew. They're all absolutely laugh out loud hilarious. I haven't ha- laughed so hard since probably the first couple of seasons of Key and Peele. Um, it's, it's genuinely hilarious. It re- it's pop culture to black experiences to just Hollywood in general. It's all sorts of stuff. And everybody there has amazing comedic timing. It is absolutely wonderful. And I can't recommend it enough. Um, It's only seven episodes, which is kind of sad, but that's just how Netflix is apparently doing things now. Uh, Yeah, it's, it is genuinely the funniest sketch show I've seen in years. I've watched, like I said, I've watched this three times in a row because I can't get enough of it. Meanwhile, going over to... I think you should leave. It is very much a headier sort of comedy. Like it's produced by the Lonely Island guys, Andy Sandberg, um, Akiva Schiff and Jorma Tacone. And, um, it's awkward. It's a lot of awkward kind of humor. Uh, Tim Robinson is the star and he's kind of the lead, uh, char- you know, actor in all the sketches. And he's also, I think the lead writer and producer and whatnot. Um, I'm not familiar with him outside of this. Uh, let me see. Uh, apparently, he worked on Michael Bolton's big, sexy Valentine's Day special, Detroiters. He was a writer. Was he also in Detroiters? Okay, yeah, he also started Detroiters. So you may know him from that if you watched that on Comedy Central. It was a short-lived. Um, is it still going? I don't know if it's still going or not. But it's a, it's a buddy comedy in based in Detroit uh, with him and Sam Richardson. And apparently he used to be a writer for Saturday Night Live. A lot of Saturday Night Live people on here as well. Like you've got uh, Vanessa Bayer shows up in a sketch and uh, Cecily Strong shows up in one. And Andy Samberg does show up in one. And I'm sure if you look through the cast, you can find a lot of SNL alums littered throughout there. But um, uh, you also got people like Will Forte and Fred Willard and... um, yeah, just all, you know, various other, like, these people have connections. Uh, Tim Heidecker shows up in one sketch. So, I mean, the, uh, Robinson has enough connections to get a lot of really good um, uh, guest stars in the series. But I think the thing about it is it's a lot more like Tim and Eric, where it's awkward and off-putting and not exactly funny, but, like, unsettling. Like, it's... Like it, like it, like it's it's weird. It's it's more weird than it is funny. But it's never bad either. Like I don't want you to think that I'm saying it's bad, but comparatively, 
It's not the joke-a-minute kind of humor that Astronomy Club is. It is much more of a Tim and Eric or uh, Mr. Show with Bob and Dave style, like, awkward, boundary-pushing humor, which is why I, I I know Danny loves it. Danny loves that kind of stuff. He talks about it all the time. And that's kind of him and Aaron's style as they progress through Game Grumps. But it's... It's not, it's not one that I hated, but I don't think I'll go back to it because it didn't... I would much rather watch the best parts of it on YouTube than sit through the whole series again, whereas I could watch Astronomy Club on a loop and never get bored. I think that's the main difference is that I think You Should Leave is much more like headier and uh, weirder. So if that's your style, I, you should check it out. But if you want to just laugh out loud funny, check out Astronomy Club. Um, yeah, that, in terms of comedy, that's what I've been digging into lately. Uh, I, I think I reviewed, uh, John Mulaney's thing. It's, but yeah, it's, yeah, that's what I've been watching on Netflix right now. Uh, I'm going to see if I can catch up on a bunch of stuff because some of that is in, uh, our next segment, which is our preview of the Oscar nominations. So let's take a look at those. And the award goes to... I completely skipped the Golden Globes and all the other awards because I think that did too big of a toll on my sanity, but I'd be remiss if I avoided the Oscars because they are the pinnacle. Whereas Golden Globes are fun awards to get, it's not as prestigious as the Oscars is in the industry. More people care about the Oscars than they do the Golden Globes or any of the lesser awards. Not that they aren't worth anything, but in terms of like tiers, hierarchies, Oscar is the top. That's the one you want to get. That's the one that's been around the longest. That's the one with the most prestige behind it. Um, Industry-wide, at least. But, um, yeah. Also, I didn't want to watch the Golden Globes because Ricky Gervais is a piece of shit and nobody should ever give him the time of day. But that's just me. Anyway, we're going to take a look at the official nominee list for the Oscars, which is... Holy... It's February 9th? That's early. Wow, that's early. I'm I'm used to it go pushing into March. It's coming out in the Fe- it's coming out February 9th? Damn. I might have to do a live reaction to that. Alright. Um at any rate, uh let's take a look at the Best Picture nominees. Uh we've got Ford versus Ferrari. Okay, that's not bad. Irishman, need to watch. Jojo Rabbit, agree with. Joker, a bit out of place. Not exactly not exactly Oscar worthy, I would say, but it's not bad. Uh, Little Women, good. Uh, Marriage Story, need to watch that. Uh, 1917, like I said, technically, technically amazing, worth you know, worthy of nomination, tailor made for this sort of thing. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah, it's coming to be expected. This kind of crap that the Oscars eat up. And Parasite, the uh, under the dark horse coming out of nowhere, and good, good for it. More of these kinds of uh, foreign films should get a chance to break through because yeah, it's good. All right. Actor in a leading role, we've got Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory, which I'm not familiar with. Uh, Salvador Malo, a renowned film director in physical decline, revisits his past, his childhood with his mother, his first desire, his first adult love and breakup, and the early discovery of cinema. Huh. Let's check that out. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Adam Driver for Marriage Story. Mm-hmm. Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. For the most part, he did all right. It's only when he actually became the Joker that he wasn't as good. Uh, 
personally, just because he he fell into the comic booky style performance. But uh, he's not bad either. Um, Jonathan Price for the Two Popes, which I'll also have to check out. I think that's also on Netflix. I've got a bunch of homework to do. Actress in a leading role: Cynthia Erivo for Harriet. I mean, yeah. Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story. Mm-hmm. Saoirse Ronan for Little Women. Good. Uh, Charlize Theron for Bombshell. All right. And Renee Zellweger for Judy. Another one I missed. I'll have to check that out. Um, so I've got a lot of homework to do. Actor in a supporting role. Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes. I have to check, put a pin in that. Al Pacino for The Irishman. And Joe Pesci for The Irishman. Pins in those. And then Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Eh, not who I would have given it to. I would have put re- replaced Brad Pitt or one of the two from The Irishman with Jamie Foxx. I think would have been a better... Um, choice. Uh, Kathy Bates, uh, actress in a supporting role. Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. Mm-hmm. Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Should have been for Little Women. Uh, Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit. Uh, Florence. So she's she's nominated for both. Screw you. God damn it. Let somebody else have a choi- chance. Uh, Florence Pugh for Little Women. Yep. Margot Robbie for Bombshell. Eh. Once again, there are better options out there, but you know, you know these people, they're wholly predictable um best animated feature film how to train your dragon the hidden world good choice i lost my body is the only one i don't know um adventure young love and childhood memories intertwine as a severed hand crosses paris in search of its owner well then that's also on netflix a lot of netflix stuff getting nominated this year so i'll have to check that out put a pin in that one um Klaus from Netflix, uh, that's also nominated. Missing Link from Laika, uh, it won for Golden Globe, for the Golden Globe, so we'll see if it can carry that over to the Oscars. And then Toy Story 4, um, not all, all pretty good nominations. Uh, what, would, what was, uh, let me pull up my 2019 lists. What was my highest, uh, animated movie? How to Train Your Dragon, Hidden World, so, yeah, um, yeah, those are all good choices. All good choices. Uh, cinematography, The Irishman. Okay. Joker, not bad. Lighthouse, need to see that. Uh, 1917, Roger Deakins, the easy choice because Deakins has yet to do a terrible job. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Robert Richardson. The cinematography wasn't as memorable there. Uh, costume design, The Irishman. Okay. Jojo Rabbit, mm-hmm. Joker, okay. Uh, Little Women, yep. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Yep, same people. So, uh, personally, uh, I don't know. Costume design usually goes towards um, the older set. So, it's like the period pieces. So, I'm looking at um, everything but Joker in terms of good costume design. But we'll see who wins. I'm not vested in anybody in particular. Uh, Best directing, Martin Scorsese for The Irishman. Todd Phillips for Joker. Axe him. He just shouldn't be in here. Uh, Sam Mendes for 1917. Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Eh. Uh, and then Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. So I'm rooting for Bong Joon-ho. I want that sort of underdog victory for him. But I think the sad, sad thing and a weird bit of karmic irony is um, not karmic in the sense that he deserves it, but more like it would be, it, of course, this would be the fate of things. Is If Todd Phillips wins for Best Director over Martin Scorsese by making a Martin Scorsese ripoff movie. Like that would be the perfect iron, you know, dram- sort of dramatic irony for this whole for this whole year. Um, 
Best documentary feature, uh, American Factory. The, yeah, this is gonna, a bunch of these are going to be the categories where I haven't seen a single entry. Um, American Factory uh, is on Netflix. I'll have to put a pin in that. I'll have to put a pin in a bunch of these here. Let me make a list. Um, I'll make a list in the meantime, afterwards. But uh, Post-Industrial Ohio, a Chinese billionaire opens a new factory in the husk of an abandoned G... Is that by me? Is that by me? Early days of hope and optimism give way to setbacks as high-tech China clashes with working-class America. Hold on a second. Hold it. Tech American Factory. GM Factory in Ohio. Is that... What part of Ohio? Moraine, Ohio. Moraine, Ohio. Okay, no, that's down by Dayton. Okay. I, I thought, I swore there was a GM plant up by Cleveland, but I'm thinking, maybe that was a Ford plant. Anyway, um, so yeah, put a pin in that. You have to check that out. Uh, the Cave, uh, da -da -da, from National Geographic. War-torn Syria, a dedicated team of female doctors tirelessly treat casualties in an underground hospital while battling systemic sexism. Ooh, that's an interesting one. The Edge of Democracy. Uh, on Netflix. A cautionary tale about one of the most dramatic periods of Brazilian history and the polarizing rise and fall of the country's leaders. Ooh. I think I've heard about that one. Uh, For Sama. Not sure about this one. Uh, looks to also be about Syria. During the five years of uprising in Aleppo, Syria, Wad al-Khatib. Wal al-Khatib. Uh, Khatib? Khatib? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, her name, uh, falls in love, gets married, and gives birth to Sama. Oh, she the filmmaker? Oh, that's sweet. I'll have to take a look at that. I'll have to find out where that's playing. See if I can get, take a look at that before the ceremonies. Um, and then Honeyland is the last one. Honeyland is uh, Hatids, Hatids, H-I-T-I-D-Z-E, Hatids, I think, uh, lives with her ailing mother in the mountains of Macedonia, making a living cultivating honey using ancient beekeeping traditions. When an unruly family moves in next door, what at first seems like a balm for her solitude becomes a source of tension as they too want to practice beekeeping. Huh. Interesting. I'm not sure about this one either. So yeah, I'll have to take a look at those. Um, next up are the, are the shorts. In the absence, uh, when the MV Sewell, 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 uh, ferry sank off the coast of South Korea 2014. Over 300 people lost their lives, most of them school children. Years later, the victims' families and survivors are still demanding justice from national authorities. Crap, I remember when that went down. It was crazy. Uh, learning to skateboard in a war zone. Wait, if you're a girl. I know, I think I know this woman. Or this girl. Of course, over the course of 15 years, a class of young girls from disadvantaged neighborhoods and war-torn Kabul. Yes! I, I follow this Facebook page. I forget what it's called. Learn to read and write and grow together in confidence for the joy of skateboarding. Hold on a second. What uh, page is it called? What is it called? Uh, oh, God. What is, what is the page called? 
I swear I'm a follower of it. Hold on. Skatistan. I think. That's the one I'm like. It's the one I liked, so I think that's. Yeah, Skatistan is the is the charity organization I follow on Facebook. But yeah, I, I've heard this story before. I'm very interested to see this documentary because it's a very interesting story behind it. Um, at any rate, let's go back to the list. Life Overtakes Me, also on Netflix. Uh, weird cover. Um, hundreds of refugee children in Sweden who have fled with their families from extreme trauma in their home countries have become afflicted with resignation syndrome. Facing deportation, they withdraw from the world into a coma-like state, as if frozen for months or even years. Jesus. Man, that's rough. Uh, St. Louis Superman. Huh. Bruce Franks Jr., a leading Ferguson act... Oh, no. A battle rapper who was elected to the overwhelmingly white Republican Missouri House of Representatives must overcome both personal trauma and political obstacles to pass a bill critical to his community. Oof, this is going to be a rough one to watch. Oh, it's going to be a rough one. Mm. Rock Run Cha-Cha. Huh, that sounds interesting. Chipal and Millie Cow, I think that's it. Uh, it's Vietnamese. Returned... It reunited the 1980s Los Angeles after being separated by the Vietnam War. 40 years later, they become ballroom dancers to reconnect again and make up for lost time. No, that sounds sweet. All right, uh, next up, film editing. Ford versus Ferrari. Mm-hmm. The Irishman, good. Jojo Rabbit, yeah. Joker, meh. Parasite, okay, good stuff. Uh, international feature film, Corpus Christi from Poland. Uh... After leaving the violent youth detention center, 20-year-old Daniel decides to pose as a parish priest despite his lack of religious education. His spirit and passion inspire his small-town congregates, congregants who have been unable to heal after the tragic accidental death of seven of their youth. Huh. Interesting. That should be interesting to watch. Um, Honeyland, the uh, previously mentioned uh, documentary feature, is nominated for North Macedonia. Les Miserables uh, from France. I think I've I've heard about this. This is about, it's basically like training day in France. Uh, and uh, Stefan has recently joined the anti-crime brigade in Mont Montfemel, uh, the town where Victor Hugo said his novel, Les Miserables. Uh, he quickly discovers tensions running high between neighborhood gangs. When his team finds itself overrun during the course of an arrest, a drone captures their every action. Yeah, this guy's got like a full-on crooked cop killer uh, on his team and he's got to he's got to deal with that. I, I've, it looked good. Then when the that one's also on Netflix, is it? No, uh, I'll have to find out where it's playing then. Uh, the next one is Pain and Glory, the um, the aforementioned one for uh, um, uh, Antonio Banderas. Uh, so, and is this what? Spain? Spain. So I'll have to check that out. So that's where Antonio's been. He's been making stuff over in Spain. N neat. And then Parasite for, bon uh, for South Korea. Makeup and hairstyling. Bombshell. Okay. Joker, yeah, I guess. Uh, Judy, uh, haven't seen it. Put a pin in that. Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, mm, and 1917. Sure, why not? Music, original score. Joker, eh, Little Women, hmm. Marriage Story, Randy Newman. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, 1917, sure. And then Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker. Mm, I'm not very vested in any of these. The original score that got me going was Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and that didn't get any... Uh, any play from the Oscars because they're a bunch of 
jackasses. Uh, original song, uh, Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away by Randy Newman from Toy Story 4. I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man by Elton John. I'm Standing With You from Breakthrough. God. Stand Up from Harriet. And Into the Unknown from Frozen 2. Honestly, Into the Unknown is the best choice out of all these just because it's the only one that doesn't really, that really stands out as being actually good. Uh, production design, Irishman, mm, Jojo Rabbit, hmm. Uh, 1917, yes. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, eh. And Parasite, hmm. So yeah, uh, short films. Animated. Let's take a look. Desera, Chatta, something. Uh, daughter. Um, in a hospital room, the daughter recalls a difficult childhood moment when as a little girl she tries to share her experience with an injured bird with her father. Interesting. Let's find out where that's show- find out where that is. Hair Love, which I have seen, it's from I believe Sony Pictures. Uh, it's an African American father learning to do his daughter's hair for the first time, and the ending is absolutely heartbreaking. It's beautiful. Absolutely, watch it. Oh, Kitbull! Kitbull from Pixar is adorable. It's a kitty, and there's the pit bull, and they're so cute, and I love them. Kitbull's good. Watch it on Disney Plus. Uh, memorable. Uh, looks like French uh, claymation. P- painter Louis and his wife Michelle are experiencing strange events. Their world seems to be mutate. Their world seems to be mutating slowly. Furniture, objects, and people lose their realism. They are des- destructuring, sometimes disintegrating. Uh oh. Thanos did the snap and an effect of the furniture. Anyway, uh, sister is the last nominee. Uh, looks like another claymation. It looks like it's also Chinese. Chinese, maybe Japanese. Um, see, mm, damn it, hold on. How do you pronounce this? How do you pronounce this? Uh, pronunciation. Here we go. Shichi? Ah, jeez. All right. I think Shichi Song. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to be butchering that. I know uh, Mandarin is entirely phonetic. Anyway, uh, Sister is about a man uh, remembering his childhood and growing up with an annoying little sister in 1990s China. Well, there's my answer. How would his life have been, been if things had gone differently? Ooh, that should be interesting. And then, and then moving on, we've got short film live action, Brotherhood. Uh, no idea about this. Uh, whose side are you on? Muhammad is deeply shaken and suspicious when his estranged eldest son, Malik, returns home to rural Tunisia with a mysterious young wife in tow. The emotional complexities of a family reunion and past wounds lead to tragic consequences. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Nefta Football Club. French of some kind in South Tunisia again. Ooh, good. Two movies from Tunisia. Uh, two football fan brothers bump into a headphones wearing donkey in the desert on the border of Algeria. Unaware that two men are waiting for the donkey and its hidden drug stash, the brothers take the animal back home with them. Aw. That can't end poorly. The neighbor's window. Ooh. Could be a ver- could be rear window sort of thing. The life of a middle-aged woman with small children is shaken up when two free-spirited 20-somethings move in across the street. Hmm. 
Once again, these are going to be ones I have to find on my own. I have no idea where they're showing. Saria. Not sure about this one. Uh, Inseparable Orphan Sisters, Saria and Ximena. Ximena? It's an X. I don't know how that's pronounced in Spanish. Are fighting against daily abuse and unimaginable hardship at the Vir Virgen, Virgen de la Asuncion safe home in Guatemala when a tragic fire claims the lives of 41 orphan girls. Ooh. That's that sounds interesting. I'll have to find out where these uh, shorts are playing. And then a sister, uh, un thir, uh French it looks like of some kind. An emergency services dispatcher must tap into all her professional skills when she receives a call from a woman in a desperate situation. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Bunch of these I'm gonna have to find where they're showing. Uh, best sound editing: Ford versus Ferrari, mm, Joker, and eh, 1917. Hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and, and Rides of Skywalker. Hmm. Sound mixing. At Astra, didn't see it. Ford vs. Ferrari, sure. Joker, meh. 1917, why not? And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, meh. Best visual effects. Endgame, yes. Irishman, why? Lion King, hmm. Uh, 1917, sure. And Rise of Skywalker, eh. Personally, I'm pushing for Endgame in that one. Uh, writing adapted screenplay, The Irishman, which is, of course, based on the life of Jimmy Hoffa. Whoa, 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 wait. Jojo Rabbit was adapted from something? When did this happen? What was it adapted from? Based on Caging Skies by Christine Lunens. Huh. Okay. I did not know that. Well, then. Neat. Joker... Uh, Little Women, and The Two Popes. So, personally, I'm kind of pushing for Jojo Rabbit and Little Women, but that's just me. I have to also watch The Two Popes. Best original screenplay? Knives Out, yes. Marriage Story, we'll see. 1917, meh. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, no thanks. And Parasite, sure. And that looks to be the nominees. So, in terms of what I've seen right now, I would like... Jojo Rabbit or Parasite to win Best Picture. Um, need to see Jonathan Price, Adam Driver, and Antonio Banderas. But of the th of the two I've seen, I think Joaquin Phoenix did a better job. Uh, actress in a leading role, Saoirse Ronan. Although I'd need to see Renee Zellweger as Judy. Actor in a supporting role. Um, most Right now, the only one I've seen is Tom Hanks and Brad Pitt. And right now, Tom Hanks has it. Uh, actress in supporting role, Laura Dern, but more so for Little Women than for Marriage Story. Um, animated feature, uh, Klaus or How to Train Your Dragon. Although I wouldn't be mad if Missing Link won. Any of these are, are fine by me, but I think Klaus should get it uh, in terms of like sheer animation prowess and just craft. I think that should win Best Animated Feature, personally. Uh, cinematography, Roger Deakins for 1917. Uh, costume design, either Little Women or Jojo Rabbit, maybe The Irishman. Directing, I think it should go to Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. If not him, then Sam Mendes for 1917. Still need to see The Irishman to see if Scorsese deserves it. Uh, no, need to see all the documentary features and the short subjects. Uh, film editing, I want to say either Parasite or Jojo Rabbit, maybe Ford vs. Ferrari. Uh, need to watch all five of the international films. Well, no, I watched Parasite. I need to watch the other four. Uh, personally, I would rather Parasite win Best Fe best Picture overall instead of just Best Foreign Language. 
I feel like it's just there because it's going to win that, not Best Picture, and then the Best Picture nominees and all the other mainstream nominees are just kind of uh, crumbs being laid out to him, and all he's going to be stuck with is the foreign language feature. I think that's the shame. Uh, best Makeup and Hairstyling, I'll have to watch the other, uh, Judy, but personally, I guess Joker, maybe, or Bombshell? Uh, oh, you know, oh no, um, not Joker, uh, not Bombshell, 1917, I think, should get it. Uh, music original score, um, honestly, Rise of Skywalker, or maybe 1917. Uh, best original song, Into the Unknown, uh, hands down best song of the, of the nominees. Uh, production design, 1917, or Jojo Rabbit, or Parasite could be good. Uh, short film animated, Kid Bull. Uh, I have to see the other three besides Hair Love, but, uh, Kid Bull is my favorite so far. Need to see all five short films. Um, sound editing, I kind of want to give it to either 1917 or Star Wars. Uh, sound mixing, 1917 or for, uh, Ford vs. Ferrari. Endgame for visual effects. And uh, Jojo Rabbit for adapted screenplay. We'll see about Two Popes or, and Irishman. And Knives Out or Parasite for original screenplay. That uh, We'll see about Marriage Story. I know um, Jordane over on Twitter, I follow her, and she has not been... She's been very open about um, her thoughts on marriage story, so I'm very curious to see how I'll think about it. But uh, yeah, that's that's what we can expect from this year's Oscars. And that about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser. Check out all of our other fine programming while you're here. And, um, you know, if you yourself are a podcaster and like to help our little community grow, uh, send us any messages you've got. Send us your stuff to uh, GumbyCatNetworks at gmail.com, and we'll get back to you, see if you're a good fit. Uh, If you're listening to us on the go, you can find us on your various podcast providers, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, and uh, if we're not on your selected podcast provider, let us know so we can add ourselves to it. But uh, wherever you're listening to us, leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show and they should check it out as well. You can also uh, check us out on social media. The social media home for Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. Uh, we're on Twitter at cornjunkiepod. We're also on Instagram at popcornjunkiepodcast. And we're on Letterboxd at askcornjunkiepod. You can keep up to date on what I think of what I'm watching over there. Uh, and then you can follow me on Stardust at popcornjunkie. I'm, I'm catching up bit by bit to um to the present uh, i've i've made my way into december with because i'm going through every single thing i've reviewed on letterboxd as a reaction so i should be caught up hopefully uh by next week but we'll see uh and then if there's anything you want to say uh to the podcast any kind of feedback you want to give uh your thoughts on what what i reviewed and your thoughts on the nominees uh, you can send that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want me to read down the show, let me know through either the uh, subject line or in the message. And if you have any money to spare, uh, doing this podcast ain't cheap. It's a lot better with the um, Regal uh, Unlimited uh, subscription and uh, you know the uh, Cinemark uh, uh, Movie Club. But at the same point, yeah, it is it, it is uh, expensive to kind of keep up to date on all this stuff. So if you have anything to spare, even if it's just as little as a dollar a month, you can send that. You can uh, help me out 
through Popcorn Junkie Podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. And um, as, a, as a patron, you'll also get to choose what you want to what you want to do with the podcast, what you think should come from the podcast. Uh, movies for me to review on my own for, for, every ep, uh, for upcoming episodes, uh, as well as content you want to see. Do you want me to do extended discussion points and like long researched uh, essays? Uh, like um, so many uh, people are doing now on YouTube, but as an audio. But sure, well, send that, send everything you want to do that through my Patreon, and we'll see about that. Remember, it's all it's tierless, and it's as little as a dollar a month, and you get to help me out, uh, and I get to take in your suggestions first and foremost. So uh, be sure to check that out. And then that does it for this week's podcast. Until next time, I'm John Bailey. And would you look at that? The Oscars nominated no women to, for director and less people of color. Shocker. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nathio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nathio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Thank you.